0: A person is not fully alive until they become a part of something larger than themselves. And our hyper-individualistic culture, it's important that we hear this truth: A person cannot come fully alive until they become a part of something bigger than themselves. We see examples of this uh, throughout our society, throughout our culture. One of the most easy to recognize is in sports. When you stop and think about it, it is interesting how much of our personal identity can get wrapped up in the sports teams that we support. And I don't say this as an anti-sports person. I love sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports. I have teams that I am completely uh, wrapped up in. And that takes a lot of doing when you're a native Atlantan. Because as someone who is from Atlanta, we have to struggle to maintain hope when it comes to our sports. I've shared this with you before, but of the major cities around the country that have the three traditional big American sports, football, basketball, baseball, at a professional level, Atlanta has more seasons without championships than any other city. We were tied with Cleveland. At the bottom, but LeBron won a championship with the Cavs uh, a couple of years ago, so Cleveland's instant ahead of us. We're in last place all by ourselves. But I still remember the one time we won. The one time in all Atlanta major professional sports, in these three traditional sports, that Atlanta won a championship. It was in 1995, I was in college, and the Atlanta Braves, the baseball team, were in the World Series. I remember what it was like as an Atlanta to get swept up in that World Series against the Cleveland Indians. I remember uh, watching our pitching staff of, of uh, Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz mowing through the, the Indians lineup. I remember being up three games to two as we went into the deciding game six. I remember Tom Glavin pitching eight shutout innings. I remember what it was like when Dave Justice hit a home run to put us in the lead. I remember in the ninth inning, Mark Wohlers was pitching, and I remember when he threw what turned. Out to be the last pitch of the World Series. I remember when the ball was hit and caught by Marquise Grissom in the outfield, and I remember the celebration as we finally won a professional championship. I remember going out with my two younger brothers that night into the streets of Atlanta, celebrating with other Atlantans, uh, uh, celebrating with people who were strangers, but we were swept up in the same story. It was awesome. And I also remember waking up the next morning and realizing that not much in my life had actually changed. It was a great two weeks of getting caught up in this bigger story. But the things that were still hard, the things that were still confusing, the things that I was still wondering about, the things that I was still struggling with before the World Series began, were all still there. There's a great story, but one that ended after a couple of weeks. And life went back. A human being doesn't find purpose until you're swept up into a bigger story. And the story of our faith, the story of the gospel, is a bigger story that you and I are invited into to come fully alive, bigger than just ourselves. And it's a story that never ends, that never stops. A life isn't fully alive until you become a part of something bigger than yourself. Martin Luther King says it this way, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. What are the stories that you and I are swept up in that give us meaning and purpose? This is something I'd like us to have in mind as we move into the third week of this series entitled Habits. This is a series that we are starting 2021 in. It's a series where we've talked about the excitement of the year ahead, the excitement of what we trust and believe is going to be a reemergence for us all from a, a global pandemic. But we've said that this is not going to be a straighter or easier or, or sometimes uh, uh, a path that's, that's easy to discern that sometimes the path through this reemergence is gonna be tricky. Sometimes the, the, the timelines and the hopes and the expectations might shift. And so it's not a year for us to do as much planning as we traditionally do in a new year. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's when it's gonna happen. Here's the form. Here's what it'll all look like. We have suggested it this year as people of faith that it is a year of instead positioning ourselves, strategic positioning versus strategic planning. Strategic positioning means that we are aware of what we value and ready to move forward when God opens a door, when, when opportunities create, we're ready to respond and position to move through. We see this in the text. We see this in this series that uh, in the scripture Jill read that Abram and Sarai don't have a plan in their mid-70s to move into the wilderness and start having children but God calls them and they respond, call and response, call and response rather than planning and dictating is the rhythm that you and I need to have as people of faith, especially as we begin this year. And the way we position ourselves, the way we do that is not by writing a position paper, it's not by telling our small group, this is what I plan to do, these are my intentions. The way we talk about that at Covenant is through the building of habits. Three habits that we have talked about for years, changing our behaviors, our daily disciplines. The first, as we talked about two weeks ago, is the habit of solitude, practicing the presence of God, as we said. The second is the habit of community. What does it mean in this time of incredible social loneliness that has been growing for years? Do we have biblical life-giving community? And third, the habit we'll talk about today is the habit of service, having a servant's heart, to serve those around us, to serve in this world, to build that into our daily disciplines of how we operate. These position us, these habits, to hear and respond to the call of God. Now the habit of service we see throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, One of my favorite passages is in Matthew chapter 20, where the disciples are having a conversation with Jesus and they have a conversation that most of us think about in some form or another, but we've learned the social cues to not say it out loud. The social cues that we've learned not to say out loud is when the disciples have an argument about who's the greatest. Now that sounds immature, but the fact is most of us think this way in some sort of way or form. How do we compare against others? How do we compare in terms of our career trajectory? When we go to a high school reunion, a college reunion, how do we compare with where our lives have moved uh, versus other people? How about our children as they're getting ready to apply to college? How about our retirement account? How does it compare to the national average and, and how we're doing and, and, and are we satisfied with what we're seeing? How does our sports teams compare? Where do they rank? The disciples ask Jesus, who's the greatest? Jesus' response is this. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many." to be the greatest, Jesus says, you have to serve. And of course, biblically, what we understand, especially in the New Testament, is the word that Jesus used for love, agape, divine love, perfect love, is not a feeling, but love is an act of service, or as Bob Goff writes, love does. Jesus is really saying here, the Son of Man didn't come to be adored, to be loved, to receive that so much as to love, as to serve, as to exhibit agape love. And you and I, We are to follow him in this pattern of living out this habit in our own lives. We see this in the scripture passage that Jill read this morning. In the Paul story of Abram and Sarah, I wonder if we've read this for the last few weeks, if it's ever entered into any of our minds, why is it that God chose them? What was God up to? What was God, did God just kind of like them better and sort of pull them aside and go, hey, I got this really cool thing and I'm just gonna tell you guys uh, because I like you better than other people. No, it's not even about Abram and Sarai. God calls them to go into the wilderness to accept a very difficult call to give them this purpose, but he gives them this purpose so that future generations will be blessed. It is for a higher purpose than just them. Sometimes I think we struggle to believe that we're called the same as Abram and Sarai because we've reduced call to me. What do I wanna do? What's my career supposed to be? What does God want for me? And God does have a plan for you. But every call God gives is to serve something larger than just yourself, to get swept up in a story that is bigger than any of us. That's where we come alive. That's what we see with Abram and Sarai and future generations. And you and I are inheritors of this promise. God says, I have a covenant relationship with them. This is why they're blessed. I will be their God, they will be my people, no matter how much they mess up, no matter how much they run away, no matter how much they rebel, no matter how much they reject me, I will never walk away from them. They are loved, they are valued, they are pursued. And there are second chances and third chances and fourth chances and an endless supply because God never turns his back from us. That is the blessing, it's the amazing grace we sing about that we understand as Christians, uh, embodied in Jesus. That is the blessing. They're serving something larger. Friends, this simple idea of this habit is so important for us, and it is like a clarion call in this time in our lives. Because I think some of what has happened as we've journeyed through the difficulty of this pandemic and and so many of the questions and, and important issues of 2020 that will continue to need to be engaged in the future is that there's a kind of survival mentality that can set in. We just gotta get through school. We just gotta get through this lesson. We just gotta get through the next nine weeks. We just gotta get through when a vaccine comes. We just gotta keep moving and surviving. And I understand that and I feel that. But the problem when we live that way over time is it becomes very me-focused. It becomes very insular. It becomes very much about what I need to keep going. And the gospel invites us to practice a habit that is far more, is far grander than that to wake up every day, not having to go just like sign up for something new, but thinking about where do we live? Where do we work? Where do we play? How in those areas where I'm gonna be do I go in to serve those who are there? How in my marriage do I seek to outserve my spouse? How do I seek with my children to serve them so that God can do everything they wanna do in their life? Not just consumed with what I need, but how do I empty myself from there, uh, for them? How do I do this with my family? How do I do this with my coworkers? How do I do this in my small group? How do I do this with the people who report to me? How do I seek to lay myself down in service? for blessings to come their way. And when we do that, when we live that way, it rescues us from this survival mentality of it's just about me and how I get through it. It rescues us to become a part of a story that's so much bigger. This is the habit that we seek to practice individually, and it's what we seek to practice as a church in so much of what what we do. That, that, That life's not just about us, but about how we serve our neighbors, how they hear and know of the grace and goodness and truth of God through covenant. There's all different ways we can do this, but in the link that's on the the website today, just underneath this video, our mission spotlight is the way that in January, we're inviting you to participate in that. We've had Ascension Seaton contact us along with a few other organizations saying that our workers, our first responders, the people that are just on the front lines of this pandemic, especially in this surge, they are exhausted, they are tired, they need encouragement. And they've asked us, to send letters of thanks on Valentine's, to literally write love letters to the people on the front lines at Ascension Seton, saying thank you and encouraging them and praying for them. And I know that we've all got a lot going on we're trying to juggle, but if we take the time to participate, to click on that link and just follow the directions to pray for, to lift up, to encourage, to serve another, we will come alive as well person is not fully alive until they become a part of something larger than themselves. I close today with an image. It's an image that will come up in a few seconds on your screen. This is an image of a representative from New Jersey named Andy Kim, who I had never heard of until a couple of weeks ago. But on the riots that took place in our Capitol on January 6th, is, as we all know, the members of Congress had to go into hiding in the middle of their deliberations, and they spent hours making certain that it was safe before they were able to come back out. And then they courageously, through the night, uh, continued with their debate and eventually their vote to certify the election. They knew that they, as they left in the early morning hours after an incredibly long and stressful day, that they had to be back early the next day, and they, they understandably went home exhausted but done with their work. But as Andy Kim was leaving, he saw in the Capitol Rotunda members of the custodial staff, members of the security staff and National Guard who were cleaning up the debris from the rioters as they had come through. And after the day he had had, knowing the early morning that he had to wake up for in just a few hours, Representative Andy Kim stopped. And for over an hour, grabbed a trash bag, grabbed a broom, and on his hands and knees participated in the cleansing and the cleaning of the Capitol Rotunda. This is an image I'd like to leave you with. When you think of what this call is for you, see this image now. Think about your day, think about your week, think about those whom you be in contact with, wherever you live, whether you work, whatever you play, position yourself like this. And hear and embrace the call of God. Amen.